So we can start doing that once our podcast takes off. We can do news radio reality tours. News radio reality tours. Right. Right. (laughs) With special guest Andy Dick, who keeps throwing eggs at the bus. How about the camera never blinks? How about the microphone never blinks? How about the microphone? Microphone. Microphone. How about the microphone never blinks? Hello, everybody. Uh, this is uh, the microphone never blinks. the The podcast about news radio. Uh, I'm Yakov, and with me is my co-host Megan. Hi. And it's the only podcast that's ever been created about news radio. It's an original idea. Uh, we're the only ones who have done it. Exactly. If you if you, if you happen to see that there's another news radio podcast out there that happens to have. Uh, People from the show on as guests, they're faking it and lying. Yeah, uh, or you're hallucinating and you should see a neurologist. So, um, Megan, uh, what made you want to make a podcast about news radio? Well, uh, in thinking about it, I I sort of feel left out by 90s nostalgia. Um, I In thinking about it, I realized that I don't remember really anything about the 90s. I feel like I remember, I, you know, I was like, a, I was, I was growing up, but um, I feel like I remember Clinton being president, uh, Columbine, and news radio. Um, and news radio is by far sort of my most vivid TV memory um, of my, my youth, I guess, if you want to say. And I think it was incredibly formative to what I think is funny, what I like watching on TV. Um, and I thought, you know, if I'm going to make one podcast in my life, and I am, I'm only going to make a single podcast, then why not make a podcast that, uh, is a retrospective on a more than 20 years old sitcom that broke my brain at a formative age. So were you watching this, um, as it aired? The later seasons I was. Nice. Um, yeah, that's yeah. I also, um, I actually, I did not catch any of it um, during oh, its initial run. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I caught almost all of it that I saw during like the formative years. I think this was been around about ninety seven. It was on um, probably NBC at like both eleven and eleven thirty every night. And oh yeah, I remember that. Okay. Yeah, so I think that's when I caught the uh, majority of what I saw, like, initially was uh, was during that syndication. Um, so I don't think I ever saw a single uh, initial uh, airing episode of it, which is weird because it's, you know, I've, I've seen it so many times at this point that, you know, it's just kind of weird that I never actually caught the the actual air, airing of it. I think that's an experience a lot of people have had with it, though. You know, it's it's sort of universally agreed upon by you know, people who know more about such things than I do, certainly, that um, it's, you know, a great sitcom and ahead of its time. But it seems like a lot of people came to it 
you know, even after the run was over and certainly well past when they could have helped out with ratings problems or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it like it, it bounced like one of the big things that I saw when I was reading about it is that like it bounced around the schedule so much that yeah. it was, you know, it was a cult hit, which is not the thing you want your sitcom to be. Uh, <laughs> no. If you're <laughs> well, you try to air it when you try to sell DVDs. Yeah, it's great. But um when you're first airing your sitcom, you absolutely do not want it to be a cult hit. I was actually looking at, uh, you know, I, I'd like to pretend I know anything about television. And then I like I stumble onto a website like uh, TV by the numbers, which is like that big TV ratings website. And I have no idea what anybody's talking right. about. Right. But it seems like news radio now would probably survive a little bit longer but it, it seemed like at the time that was sort of like you were stuck on those big networks you kind of lived or died by those ratings and you know when they shuffled it around i think uh it, it was something like like multiple times a year for all the seasons they were on it was like twice a season i think by the end of five seasons they had been moved around either like nine or eleven times uh Mostly on Tuesday and Wednesday, like the, the the Thursday slot was like the big thing that like everybody talks about in the interviews, like getting that um, getting that Thursday slot. And I think they had it briefly and then they lost it and then they bounced around Tuesdays and Wednesdays for a while. Um, Paul Sims, the creator, uh, he 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 blames this dude. Uh, what, what is his name? Preston Beckman, the uh, head of uh, NBC scheduling at that time for Which like, is like that's a comical villain. That's a comical villain's name. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you pull him up, like, pull up a picture of him, uh, and he absolutely looks like, uh, you know, somebody who would be the the villain in, you know, another diehard knockoff, like, Under Siege or something like that, the... Um or the, uh, the the guy from Ghostbusters, the uh, the EPA guy. He, he yeah, looks yeah, very yeah. much like him. He's got that look about him. But so apparently um, he's a columnist now. He's a columnist that goes under the name uh, The Mask Schedule. He's on Twitter, too, if you if, if anybody wants to reach out to him about news radio. Oh. Um, but somebody uh, – this was very recently. This was just in January of this year. Uh, somebody asked him about uh, news radio, and he was basically like, we constantly put it between, like, a bunch of strong shows. I don't don't think it suffered for that and um you know he's just like would it have been uh you know would it have lasted as long as like friends or seinfeld if we didn't bounce it around maybe would it have lasted five seasons if we didn't like always make sure to put it between strong shows on decent nights like tuesday and wednesday no it wouldn't have so yeah it's it's rough because i mean and i mean this is the first time we're hearing anything about this since that uh paul sims interview with rolling stone which i think is like the most infamous Ooh. thing about news radio is um yeah with the creator that had to that had to feel good yeah yeah if um if you if you're not sure what we're talking about um paul sims uh, i think between seasons four and five maybe it was before phil hartman's death um they were like on the verge of cancellation he did this interview with uh rolling stone where he just like let it all out Jumping off the Paul Sims idea, there's a really good book that's now out of print, um, but you know it's you can you can buy it used or get it from the library. It's called The Showrunners. It's by David Wilde, um, and it follows a season. I don't remember. I think it might have been that same season. It might have been between the fourth and fifth season of News Radio, but it follows uh, a bunch of showrunners over the course of like 
basically breaking a season, shooting it, hearing about, you know, if they're on the bubble or not. Um, but Paul Sims is one of the showrunners that they follow. And it's very, it's very sad and funny because it's got sort of this like, isn't show business grand tone, <laughs> except for Paul Sims, who is just like a broken, beaten down man in it. Um, and it made me, I don't know. I mean, I liked him already, but it made me really like him and it made me really feel sorry for him. And it also just drove home like how hard he fought for the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, like, especially considering how young he was, like at least two different articles refer to him as a wunderkind. And right. um, yeah, he was he was 29 when he got the pilot made. Which is crazy. Like, yeah. what, what were you doing at 29? I was just like... I think I was just like drunk all the time. I was watching news radio. Yes. Also, probably, <laughs> you know, in in any one of a number of states of intoxication. Um. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think there's there's something to be said for yes, it must be hard in some ways to have a creative peak like this so early because then you get done with it and you're like, well, what the hell do I do now? Um, but I mean, at least at least there was a peak <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah reading about like the production of the show is it was, it was kind of amazing just because of just everybody like the one thing that everybody like makes sure to get across is just how much fun they had making the show yeah it seems like they you know when they t and you you and i have talked about this before but it seems like when when they reminisce about the show, it's not like you sometimes read from other actors where they're talking about you know when they were on a set and how you know, productive and fruitful it was. It's like <laughs> the tone of when they talk about their time on news radio is like a group of old friends talking about a time that is so sort of emotionally important to them that they maybe didn't recognize at the time for, you know, how good it was. So it's, there's this real like tone of nostalgia and poignancy every time you see them or see or read uh, any of the cast members talking about their time on news radio that, um, you know, I think contributes towards my warm feelings about the show altogether. The, uh, the idea that like there was barely any separation between like the writers and the actors because the actors were all so funny and like capable of coming up with humor and not just like acting it out that, you know, they would, you know, come up with jokes to shoot like on the fly in the middle of shooting, um, just like that kind of environment, it, it is amazing. Like, you know, I don't think a lot of shows could do that. Like, I don't think Friends was doing that, you know, I bet. No. Um, probably not even Seinfeld, like, I think. It wouldn't be an equal... I, I wouldn't think that it would be an equal playing field on other shows, but I, it really seems like if if anyone came, came up with a good joke on news radio, they could throw it out there. And I mean, like, that extends into the characters, too. Like, you know, Joe, uh, Joe Gorelli's character is basically mildly fictionalized Joe Rogan. Which we didn't realize at the time. And at the time, I remember thinking, oh, he's just, like, a super funny actor. He's doing this sort of, like, kind of angry, sort of bizarre electrician. And then, obviously, in all the years that have passed since, we have found mm -hmm. out that Joe Rogan doesn't believe in the moon and whatever <laughs> else about him so uh yeah it's 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 actually as bizarre as it is for us to be talking about a show that premiered in 1995 it is kind of cool to have the benefit of you know the 20 years that have passed to look back on the show and you know what the actors have done since and all of that kind of stuff so 
Yeah, it's wild that I, I love the fact that uh, Joe Rogan, the only person who was on that show that wasn't really like a broadcaster, has in real life become the only person on that show who has become a broadcaster. Yeah, very yeah. true. Oh, yeah, he's had his uh, he's had his podcast for a very long time now, and it's a very popular podcast too. Does isn't he usually like at the top of the whatever the hell? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the podcast rankings. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's there until we take him down. Right. Yeah, we th- this is this is our golden ticket this uh this podcast oh. about a 20 plus year old uh television program. We're going to we're going to set up a Patreon. We're going to we're going to get fucking rich. I'm sort of expecting that I'll be able to quit my job in 2 3 months, you know, being conservative. Yeah, yeah, that seems about right. I okay. I, I I can't imagine it'll take us that long to develop an enormous uh community around uh rambling on on no, no. this. No, not at all. I think it's going to be instant, uh, and it's going to be passionate and vocal. I mean, yeah. we'll be able to do live shows, uh, it, you know, but we'll, all all these good things will come to us in due time, but I feel like maybe we should talk about the pilot first. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about the pilot. Um, the pilot premiered on... It's... 1995 sometime? Yeah, March 21st, okay. 1995. It was a Tuesday. Oh, um, and it premiered between Wings and Frasier. It was on at 8.30 on NBC between Wings and Frasier. I think Joe Rogan mentions it in like the an interview with uh, Dave Foley that he did in his podcast that I watched like part of. Oh, yeah, and I think I, I linked you to it. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched yeah. it too. And if you're listening to this, you can find it. Just Google like Dave Foley, Joe Rogan News Radio. And it's like about a 16-minute uh, excerpt of, you know, one of his like 10-hour-long podcasts. And yeah, Joe Rogan just mentions that like if you had like the kind of ratings that were considered bad back then on a show now, you'd be the number one show on television. Uh, just because back then like, oh, you've only got 10 million viewers. That's, you know, that's terrible. We're going to move you, you know, we're going to move you to the Friday Night Death slot, which never happened to News Radio, uh, I don't think. Um it's interesting that we're looking back on how how important ratings were then when it's just not really a thing that seems to have much impact at all and, you know, whether a show gets more seasons now. But the important thing is that uh, it's definitely sustainable and will continue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I can't see anything uh, anything derailing the golden age of television when there is far too much television for any one human being to even attempt to watch no no that... no <laughs> <laughs> but now the one thing that struck me going back to this you know pre-golden age of television is even the news radio pilot which i feel like is well constructed and sets up everything well it's mm-hmm. so piloty it is it is it is um it was, you know, it was shot in in three different like times. the The opening, the like the welcome to New York thing, where Dave has uh, ends right. up being late for um, ends up being late for his first day of work because he showed up to the wrong office. Uh, so that was shot like several months prior to the pilot itself. And then the that the the last scene with like that uh, with uh, Jimmy telling Dave to that you know he's he's got the job and to show up and work on time, and then. Him and Lisa having like the the awkward eyelash thing. Yes, uh, that was apparently shot like months after the actual pilot. I feel like I I have I've read that pilot shooting schedules are often really weird because you don't know you know what's going to get picked up or not. Um, so you just have to kind of fit things in and accommodate late edits and stuff like that. So I guess I'm not too surprised by that. So I think uh, I think 
to that one of the things that struck me that I definitely didn't remember is that Jimmy James is a nightmare boss in this episode. Uh, because I definitely remember him as he was sort of in the later seasons when he was just kind of like a genial lunatic. <laughs> but uh, imagine just in the world of the show, imagine moving for a big job as a news director and then showing up and finding out that you have to uh, fire your predecessor. Dave, I haven't exactly told Dad he's being cut loose yet. Oh, uh... Well, I, I can come back tomorrow, or if he needs two weeks notice, that's fine. Two weeks? Fine. No, I'm, no, I'd rather have you do it today. Rather, rather have me do what today? Fire Ed. <laughs> you want me to fire Ed? Well, it is in your contract, hiring, firing, yeah. what have you. Come on, I want you to meet the gang. Currently, like in our current uh, timeline of, you know, horrible billionaires uh, who own giant companies doing bizarre things to their staff, it's just that much odder to watch... Uh, you know, Jimmy James go about it as like a prototype of what has happened in reality. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, he, he really is. I mean, the way that he sort of the, the way that he kind of jerks people around uh, just because he can, because the station's kind of like a sandbox for him. Uh, you're absolutely right that there's comedy to be mined from that, but also you can look back on that and uh, it, it is kind of a very, when that happens in reality, it is a very dark thing. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be great when we get to the episode when he runs for president. Oh, my God. Yep. I think one of the big things was that they were just like, we don't want to make Jimmy like a, a you know, the, the dumb boss everybody hates. So he's got like a canniness to him. So he must have known that like Lisa was assuming she'd become news director and that he would be, you know, screwing her by by hiring Dave. Um, and And he sets all this up. And it just reminds me of like the the line now that i think about it when he's just like oh i'm going down to the um construction site and then the uh, and then the factory he's just like oh no i just like watching the big trucks move around and it's just basically the same thing where he's you know throwing dave into it and just watching what happens no i'm at the station right now yeah no then i gotta go to the factory then i gotta go to the building site huh no, that's just for fun. I like to watch the big trucks. Oh, yeah. And I also wrote that down as I was, like, noting things that, like, made me actually laugh out loud sitting there by myself watching this. Um, and no, that's just for fun. I like to watch the big trucks was one of them. <laughs> um, and he really he really is just a – he's a billionaire who has enough money that he doesn't have to actually care about any of this stuff that's happening. Um which is certainly true to life. So I sort of, I, I kind of feel like, um, you know, and, and, and you do have a little bit of a power dynamic shift at the end where, you know, Dave kind of takes control of the situation. He fires Ed. Sorry, Ed. And can we talk about this in your office, please? No, we can talk about it right here. No, I, I, I don't know why Jimmy hired you, but get the hell out of here. You're fired. Huh? Ed? <laughs> I think I think if you uh, if you go in your office, I can explain. This ought to be good. Oh, uh, it will be. <laughs> Ed, do you know the meaning of the word irony? Um, and so he he sort of rests control of the situation, but still, you know, Jimmy James is our puppet master, and that's something that we'll see throughout the entire rest of the series. Yeah, yeah. And um, apparently the whole thing about like Dave uh, exerting authority uh, specifically over over Bill at the end, um, 
that was a network note. I guess that may not have been in there initially uh, during the table read or whatever. But yeah, that was a it was a network note that Dave needs to um, assert his authority. And um, I think the the phrasing of it from like the director maybe was something like the kids got to win one. Why? Because I'm the boss, Bill. That's why. That's why, Bill. And I will not be manipulated. I will not be contradicted. And I will not be intimidated. I didn't realize you were a man of such strong convictions. Of such deeply felt moral tenacity, of such a remarkable center. All right, Bill, I'm not going to be sucked up to either. <laughs> that's actually, that's a pretty good note. I feel yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think even like Paul Sims, like during the commentary was just like, yeah, they were completely right. Like did, there, there has to be, Dave has to, can't be like it, it, under the thumb of like everybody else. Otherwise the show doesn't work. And now that you mentioned Bill, sort of from the very beginning, uh, Phil Hartman is such a presence. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was kind of expecting, I was expecting that pilot thing, which we get with some of the other characters, where you only start, sort of start to see a germ of the the character that they will end up being. Um, but Bill McNeil sort of arrives fully formed. Uh, you know, he's completely three-dimensional right away. Yeah, like, the first thing that he does when, like, his, his like, first, like, real lines are him, like, extorting Ed into giving him the, uh, an Al Gore interview by, um, threatening to read the news very slowly and demonstrating (laughs) it, and it's just, like, he's got, like, three or four lines in the pilot, and one of them is, like, one of the best lines of the show, which is, you know, just, like, him, him doing, like, the threatening slow voice. Not so fast, Ed! Don't you think I should do the Al Gore interview? Because phone interviews keep me alert, and if I'm not alert, I might just start reading the news very slowly, like this. I will see what I can do. Thanks, buddy. I know you'll make the right decision. Right. I did read, too, that uh, Phil Hartman would often, you know, take several takes to figure out how he wanted to deliver a line and he would be playing around with it but they pretty much learned to kind of leave him alone and uh the directors of the episodes would really not try to weigh in very much (laughs) at all because what he would eventually end up landing on would invariably be so weird and specific and so much funnier than anything anyone could have told him to do. I, I think I might have read the same thing where it's just like, I think it was one of the, um, one of the writers maybe was like telling Phil how to deliver a line. He's just like, Phil was just like looking at there, like <laughs> smiling at me. And I said, wait, why don't I just let you do this the way you want to do it? And he's just like, that's the best idea you've had. <laughs> <laughs> what if here's, here's a thought experiment. Uh, and this is, what if Phil Hartman had been the guy who came off Saturday Night Live and ended up in the Senate? Wowza. That would have been um that would have been amazing. Phil Hartman like as an actual politician. Yeah. Uh, he'd get he'd get everything done. He absolutely he w- would. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this and I was just getting so enamored with this alternate history. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm convinced that he would he would immediately have everyone in his thrall. 
he would he would whip everyone into shape. Yeah, and it, it, see, it, it might be one of those, like, you know, people not wanting to speak ill of the dead thing, but, like, everything you read about people interacting with Phil Hartman is about just, like, how genial and genuinely nice and, like, interested he was as a person. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it's it, it's wild. Um, it's just one of those things that's just, like, I, I never want to read anything new that ever comes out about Phil Hartman because I'm just terrified he's going to end up like every other celebrity, which is, you know, just a terrible human being. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, I was thinking about this before we started recording, and, you know, I was thinking, well, I, you know, I, I don't just want to lapse into Phil Hartman, uh, you know, praise all the time, and then it's like, well, why not? <laughs> You know, he. It seems like maybe he just earned it, and yeah, we're who knows if he had, um, you know, lived, and you know, maybe we, you know, would have seen him turn out to be a terrible person too. But uh, we have no evidence of that, and so we have no reason to believe that he was anything except the incredibly talented, uh, you know, kind. Uh, humane man that he's made out to be so i like you choose to believe that <laughs> yeah the the only thing that i wouldn't want to like experience if he was you know a genuinely good person would have been his like overly earnest overly polished twitter account oh oh yeah yeah i'm actually yeah i'm really glad that we never got a phil hartman twitter account yeah so yeah, so the pilot just sort of sets up our, mm -hmm. it sets up our cast of characters, it kind of establishes some of these dynamics, which are going to get much more interesting later on. Um, but when I watched the second episode, which in many ways is kind of the first actual episode of the show, uh, I was really surprised at how many things happened in the second episode that I thought had happened midway into the third, midway into the first season. Oh yeah, yeah. That that that's the one of the big things about the show for me is like I have seen it, God knows how many times. I think when I turned around like the DVD box and it said there's like four thousand minutes of it, like I had a mild panic attack just <laughs> how much my life I've devoted to going through that roughly four thousand minutes over and over and over again. Like but so yeah, many I, grains of sand through the hourglass. <laughs> yeah, and and. and and yeah, I have. I also have a very hard time of keeping track of like which jokes are roughly where in a specific season. Like, I can tell you which ones are like in season one or two versus season like four, but right. like which jokes are where in season one or two is hard, just because it's so consistent across the entire thing with you know the jokes and the development of the characters that like you could play the episodes out of order and not suffer that much. No, but the making the uh, Buttafuoco episode your second episode is shooting out of the gate so hard. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, I guess, yeah, we should just, like, start talking about the uh, the second episode, uh, Inappropriate, um, that it, it, it opens with uh, Bill and, for some reason, Matthew, uh, Andy Dick, in the recording booth and like Andy Dick is giving an update to the uh, Joey Buttafuoco uh, Long Island Lolita case. What's going on guys? Uh, Matthew, I, I think you mispronounced that guy's name a few times. What? Uh, it, it, it's Joey Buttafuoco? No, it isn't Matthew. <laughs> it's uh, 
but a Foucault. And oh, did you want to did you want to talk about that? By the way, in case somebody listening yes. isn't sure. Uh, so, in case anyone like me was confusing this with uh, other sordid cases, the uh, Butafuco Long Island Lolita, which, by the way, I feel like we wouldn't get that name now. Amy Fisher proceeded to uh, shoot Joey Butafuco's wife in the face yeah and and not killing her no 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 not killing her she's now a uh, motivational speaker um and i certainly you know wish her all the best um but it obviously caused a media firestorm um joey buttafuoco's defense uh, in court was that he was never involved with fisher fisher had made up the affair um which is obviously not true. Uh, and then he proceeded to be indicted on 19 counts of statutory rape, sodomy, and endangering the welfare of a child. So not a great situation all around, but uh, news radio tackles this, this scandal immediately in their second episode. I will give news radio credit that it none of it is at the expense of... Uh, Either the woman who was shot in the face um, or, you know, the 16-year-old who theoretically should be, you know, off limits for various reasons. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's surprisingly funny even now. Um, I think it's got to be the most that a live studio audience has ever laughed at the name Buttafuoco in history. It has to be a record yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I just, I wish I was there during taping, because, I mean, imagine how many jokes were dropped uh, that, you know, revolved <laughs> around just Matthew coming up behind somebody and, like, saying with very clear elocution, Buttafuoco. Mr. James. Present! Buttafuoco. <laughs> Well, but a fuko to you too, Matthew. So Matthew spends this entire episode worrying about getting fired. Yeah, which is uh, extremely relatable. I can definitely yes. relate to spending an entire day at work worrying about that I was getting fired for doing something extremely stupid. These sitcoms that are set in offices and are kind of written by people who have maybe either never been in an office or not been in an office setting for a long time, uh, are often not grounded in anything that is actually feels true to someone who works in that kind of environment, even if it's supposed to be. Um, but despite the fact that news radio is almost immediately off the wall and has a very heightened energy, there's a lot that feels really relatable like doing something incredibly stupid and then just being like and then just like walking around waiting for the axe to fall yeah and getting like absolutely no closure from anybody in charge uh because <laughs> no. they have much bigger things to worry about than you right right because they're you're like uh, you're almost a you're a side note to them yeah uh but you're just waiting for someone to come you know relieve your agony <laughs> yeah and then like the so that's I guess that's the B plot, because the A plot is uh, the fact that Dave and Lisa slept with each other. Yes. News Radio had them sleep together in the second episode. Yeah, or like between the first and the second, because by the time the second one already right. starts, they have like that extremely 
uh, awkward conversation at work where neither of them, like, gets an actual word out. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Dave. Hi. Hi. Uh, ah. Coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Vicky Lewis referred to the character as having just enough therapy to be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's actually, I'd never heard that. That's, that's really great, actually. That's, uh, completely, that, that completely suits the character. And again, I feel like in the hands of a lesser group of writers and directors, she would have just been kind of the wacky ditzy secretary yeah yeah exactly um, the and she she is kind of you know she's absent-minded and out to lunch in some ways but uh then she'll have these moments where she looks at you know she observes 30 seconds of this interaction between dave and lisa and then she's in dave's office and she's terrorizing <laughs> yeah it's 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 weird like the 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 difference between like Joe Rogan's like extremely like naturalistic like uh performance of himself and then there's Vicky Lewis who is like a trained stage actress playing a character that's about 10 years younger than like the herself cuz uh right. yeah Vicky Lewis was was 34 when uh, when they made this and the character I would <gasps> say is about like she was? yeah 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 it doesn't look it at all she no. I, I had no idea about that until like years after watching the first show that she wasn't actually like in her early twenties. Where did she go? And I know that's an annoying thing to say about people who are stage actors when people are like, Where'd she where'd she disappear to? And usually it's like, Oh, they're like doing stage work. Before and after uh news radio, she was like a stage actress in like theater and musical theater and she's still doing it. Um yeah, I'm looking at her. Yeah, I'm looking at what she's done, and it lo- it looks like she's you know pretty regularly done bit things here and there. Oh, she was in. She had a run on How I Met Your Mother, which I have seen every episode of for some reason, <laughs> and I have no memory of her on that. I guess there's a C plot as well, which is that it's uh, Catherine's birthday and Bill is yes! making a big deal about it. And Catherine is extremely opposed to making a big deal about it. Bill does the following things. He hosts a two minute long birthday party for her during a commercial break. With cake and uh, punch. With cake and punch, which Jimmy James attends. 35 seconds to party time. <laughs> Boy, do I love good party. You love good party, Joe? That's why I went to college, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also why I didn't graduate. Uh, and he hosts an out-of-office lunch, during which Dave and Lisa take the opportunity to sleep together in Dave's office, uh, which is That becomes a recurring very... gag. Yes, yes. Uh, but this actually leads into... I have a... I don't want to call it a conspiracy theory, but I have a alternate reading of the end of this episode that I'd like to throw out for you. The end of the episode being the part where... Um... Like, they, they sleep together, then Vicky Lewis comes in uh, with the burritos? Uh, yes, and then as they are walking out to the elevators, and they encounter Bill and Catherine. Right, right, right. 
Okay, so my read on this, what I watched again, is I think that there is evidence to support the idea that Beth has already told the entire staff. And here's why. Mm -hmm. So uh, Beth sort of meets and, and I don't want to say falls in love with, but is, is captivated by the new delivery guy, right? Yeah, the FedEx guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Beth goes off with the new FedEx guy. Then Dave and Lisa, who are walking out to get a late lunch together, run into Bill and Catherine by the elevators. Catherine's angry at Bill for the birthday party from earlier. And after she walks away, Bill says to uh, Dave and Lisa, you know, Catherine and I had a fling a few years back, and our relationship has never recovered. You know, those sneaky office relationships don't, they're just not, worth it and of course dave and lisa both look kind of horrified and their faces have fallen but the way that bill delivers it is above and beyond the sort of baroque bill mcneil way uh i think that you could see him trying to torment them on purpose I think he is, he knows that uh, this is happening because I think Beth has told everyone. And I think he's uh, taking the opportunity to toy with them uh, like a cat would with a mouse uh, because he knows that this is going to both cause them a lot of anxiety uh, if he talks about how he had an office fling and it basically ruined everything between him and Catherine. You two seem to have a very complex relationship. It's a nightmare. Why is that? Well, about four years ago, Catherine and I sort of tried to have a secret little office romance. You know how those things go. Oh, yeah. 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 Worst mistake I ever made. Ruined the entire relationship forever. Either you ever been in one of those? No, 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 no never. No. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could definitely see like a the the alternate take of it of of them having known the whole time until it's finally revealed in um, I think it's sometime during season two, right? Yeah, I think so. So, I, so I guess, I guess we'll get there, and maybe I'll recant this entire thing. <laughs> but right now, my position is that they all know. And they're just uh, taking the opportunity to screw with Dave and Lisa as much as possible. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. That's a that's a good uh, good head cannon. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It's my I'm stowing that away in my mind palace. There was I, I think like one of the, the the big things that like points to like the the closeness of like everybody that worked on this show is the fact that everybody has like nice things to say about Andy Dick. And I can't imagine that happening in anything but like a situation where you're like Stockholm syndrome close to everybody you're working with that oh. like Andy Dick becomes like a beloved member of the family who everybody like it's not like they know something about him worse than what we do. And at the same time, like. You know, um, definitely like Joe Rogan and Dave Foley and Maura Tierney on like the commentary I listened to with her. They all like fondly reminisced about how completely fucked up Andy Dick was. It's Um, sort of like you have that. It's kind of like having some member of your family who obviously you you're not completely disowning them. Uh, but you know, you are, you're, you're going to therapy and you say, you know, I, I know that I can't, I know I can't save them, but I just want them to know that I'm here for them 
if they do need me. <laughs> I feel like that's that's the tone that they all take when they talk about Andy Dick. Andy Dick is obviously like a, a seems like a you know a troubled person who's got issues, but it would be hard to be sort of like the runt of a set of funny, uh, you know, kind of young cutting people it fucked up dustin diamond i mean yeah you know yeah. I, I i wouldn't say that the rest of the cast of saved by the bell was like the 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 consummate comedians that news radio were but like being like the young guy who you know had like the not very much experience and like you know being in age younger or like in but definitely in maturity younger than everybody like yeah it messed up dustin diamond pretty bad like i wouldn't say i, th- I think andy dick came to the show as damaged as he was but <laughs> Yeah, but it is, I could, you could see it being a pretty similar dynamic. So I guess, I guess we're, (laughs) just to recap, I feel like where we've landed on our first episode is that Jimmy James is much more evil uh, than he seemed during previous watches. Um, And I guess we are sympathetic towards Andy Dick until future notice. Is that where we're landing? <laughs> I, I I think we kind of we we kind of have to. Otherwise, we're just gonna it, eventually. You know, it's not like we're gonna run out of bad things to say about Andy Dick, but you know, like right. it's gonna get boring to just keep talking about how awful Andy Dick is. So our official our official official podcast position is that uh, we have enough empathy in our hearts to include Andy Dick. Yeah, exactly. Um. And speaking of official positions, I can't guarantee I will never refer to Phil Hartman as daddy, so just heads up. That's fine. We will tape an episode that's just us crying. Yeah. Talking about his his death, and we'll just really get all those issues out there, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, that's another thing about like the uh that uh Dave Foley Joe Rogan interview that I mentioned before that they they actually crack a couple of jokes about like phil hartman's death and if you want to hear the like two out of the five people on this planet allowed to do that uh yes you know yeah 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 i mean i it's it sounds like it's very much the kind of situation where they joke about it as a way of you know it's it's clearly a way of kind of dealing with the overwhelming horror of what happened to him, you know, because not only did he die, but, you know, he died in that way. Um, And it would have been sad. It would have been horrible to lose Phil Hartman from the show in any way. But, uh, you know, it's not like he had a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. He he was murdered. Right. Right. Uh, And it sounds like, you know, things were fairly bad for him. You don't go from things being pretty good to, uh, a murder suicide. Right. So right. it sounds like things were, you know, bad beforehand. Um, and the news radio cast, it seems like were some of the people who were closest to that situation, which I can't even imagine. Yeah. It's uh, like, there, there was definitely like a, with, you know, in the, in the interviews with them, it, it feels like that there was like a chunk of the cast who like all hung out together constantly, like after the show and like, um, you know, they, they, they were always, like, getting drunk together, and, like, they became, like, extremely good personal friends by all accounts. Right. Um, and, like, Phil, it definitely sounded like Phil Hartman was one of the people who hung out, and... Yeah. Yeah, just, 
they and you know they they knew the troubles that he was having because he was never um i don't think he by by like the stuff that i've read he, he basically just made a lot of jokes about like how bad his home situation was um and right you know and then everybody would like you know i think uh, joe rogan mentions or maybe dave foley mentions like going to visit him and like it being like an idyllic family situation because i guess everybody could fake it but then joe rogan has some other stories about like uh bryn uh his wife being like horrible to him at like public functions right so it's yeah i think it's like the kind of situation that like nobody could have done anything more about than they did to help him no and you really can't i mean it's that it sounds like from everything that we can tell obviously no one knows outside of the relationship or you can only Mm -hmm. know so much uh you know it's a it was an abusive situation yeah um and there's not always that much that uh friends can do besides you know be friends and and be supportive and, uh, you know, be there for the person in that situation if they do need help. Um, and it sounds like the news radio cast was serving that purpose for Phil Hartman in a way. Yeah, they, they, they constantly refer to each other as, as like family. And I've heard like, you know, I've read a bunch of stuff about like people working on sitcoms and you hear that a bunch. But in this time, it actually it, it sounded like a, a, a genuine sentiment yeah, it doesn't sound like the usual press tour, you know, performance. It, it sounds like they all really mean it because they all talk openly about how they haven't done any projects since that felt the same. Yeah, yeah. I think the Dave Foley's actually like, I don't think I can actually do a project that felt the same because I'm just too old to party like that now. Right, right. And that's, you know, that's, uh, that's sort of the lightning in a bottle of it is you caught kind of these young renegades uh, at a time when TV was this way. And they were, you know, they came in and they said, well, we're going to do everything that way. And it must have really been kind of an us against the world feeling. Yeah. I don't remember if it's Joe Fury or Paul Sims mentioned like the show having like a punk rock feel to it and like how yeah. absurd that statement is when you're making a major network television show about a office. Um, and yet, you know, like you can definitely like feel it if you can't see like the, you know, the 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 irreverence of it or just the like not wanting to to stick to what makes a sitcom successful and rather instead make what a sitcom makes a sitcom good it's you you have to have the right characters uh and you've also got to have the right actors for that yeah uh you know you could have i think if you'd taken news radio and you you'd had paul sims and joe fury and the same writers and you brought in a completely different cast um you know it could have been a total miss it could have felt really kind of weird and disjointed and when you when you try to do the multi-camera thing, I think you can get away with more when you're doing kind of a natural uh, single camera, more sort of the mumblecore type sitcom that we see more and more of. Um, but if you misfire on a big multi-camera sitcom, it's jarring. Yeah. And I think news radio could have been one of those, but they just happened to get the perfect group of people. Uh, so 
we should probably wrap this up, but yeah. uh, did you did you have anything you wanted to, to mention about uh, either of the episodes we watched or anything else we talked about? Or if not, are, what episodes are you looking forward to doing on, on the show? So this just made me really excited for all the great episodes that are coming. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to... I obviously I'm excited for kind of some of the later seasons madness. Um, I'm a huge fan. I think I've, I've, I know I've told you before. I love the season finales <laughs> that are sort of set in like alternate universes. Oh, space and Titanic. Um, yes. I can't wait for those. Uh, but I'm really, I'm, I'm very excited for complaint box. Oh, oh, complaint box is so good. Yeah. Yeah. I love complaint box. Um, what about you? What about me? Uh, I'm weirdly excited about, um, is it just called President? The one where he, Jimmy, runs for yes. president? Yeah, I, I'm weirdly yes. excited about it because it, it, uh. it shows a world where things could have turned out a little better because he stops. Yes. Oh, and Chalk. I, I'm really looking forward to Chalk just because David Cross, uh, crap. <gasps> yeah, David yeah. Cross, um, Bob Odenkirk and uh, uh, what is his name? Brian Posehn. Just all yeah. on one news radio episode with Dave Foley. It's just the, the between the four of them, the interaction is amazing. Oh, I have another one that I'll add. Uh, I just remembered in the it's either the second or the third season, but um, the run of episodes where they bring in the efficiency expert. Oh yeah, from uh, from Gilmore. More like Gilmore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lauren Graham. Yeah, that's that's yeah, especially the uh uh the episode where Bill gets the piano out and he's doing yeah. the like satirical piano songs. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. The, <laughs> the only the only time that parody uh songs have been funny. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just because of the the complete half acidness of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. just Phil Hartman absolutely selling these half ass songs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a lot. We've got a we've got a lot to look forward yeah, to. Yeah. We absolutely do. <laughs> so, um yeah, thank you for 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 listening if you've if you've made it this far into the episode. Uh there will be definitely more episodes. Uh Yes. Well, ordinarily in podcasts, this is where people uh plug uh other things that they're doing, but um I don't have anything to plug and this is the only podcast I'm ever going to make. So, do you have anything that you want to? No, um, we're both on Twitter. I'm uh, Griff, G-R-I-P-H. I'm a bulk USB chargers, and I think you have to capitalize USB, uh, but I don't really know, so just play around with it. See you next episode. <laughs>